Let's pray together. Lord, we join with those who in Revelation 5 were singing a new song, and we also say, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Lord Jesus, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The Lord, even as David just read for us, we proclaim, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Help us this morning. We confess our belief in one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help us through your supernatural means. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me at Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Verse 1 of Revelation chapter 5. It is chapter 4 that is our focus. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I, Revelation 5, 4, it's John, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. We're in uh, tough times, potentially. Americans are going to see the result almost immediately as they buy gasoline. Americans are going to see the result of what? Well, they're going to see the result of what was announced last week. We will eliminate energy dependence on Russia, from Russia. 
as they buy gasoline to put in their cars and as they pay for energy for their homes and businesses. This is going to be a cost increase that will ricochet throughout the entire American economy. And that comes when the American economy is facing real challenges. It's not just the price you pay for gasoline, but the price you eventually are going to pay for Cheerios and coffee. Of course, this is nothing new. It's been going on for the last six months or a year. Because almost all of the commodities you buy in a store at some point are running in a train or they are in a truck, one way or another they are using petroleum. And in some cases, a lot of it. I read to you there from the briefing podcast, and which is to say that I don't think there would be any disagreement. Although everything is relative by comparison, I think we would say that we are living in unstable times. We are living, friends, in times that are not stable, in unstable times. Even though uh, we are a prosperous nation, even though we have a great deal of wealth and, and really comparatively a great deal of ease, even though these things are true, uh, brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean that you have to say, well, I can never say that I suffer or I can never say that I'm persecuted. No, even in this, even in this great land that sometimes comes with a lot of ease and a, a lot more wealth than we even realize, it's okay to say in certain situations, I am suffering. Or even, even here in America, yes, I am being persecuted. As, as you know, as we may see more and more. And that being said, we're also mindful that we really do suffer and we really are persecuted here. We're also mindful that Christians in the past and Christians around the world today suffer and are persecuted in ways that don't look like the ways that we might suffer and are persecuted. Again, in ways that may look familiar to us perhaps in years or even months to come. I want us to look at God this morning. Uh, A.W. Tozer said, I believe if I quote him correctly, that the missing jewel of Christianity today is worship. The missing jewel of of the Christian religion is worship because God is not weighty to us. Friends, you and I cannot make God weighty. He is weighty. But we don't feel the weightiness of God. And so we want to consider God. As I've already shared with you the uh, title this morning, you could use the greatness of God and the puniness of human leaders. So I want to look at a few, uh, two or three key applications from this text. I want to spend some time on that this morning. But first of all, just kind of laying out where we're going this morning. First of all, I want to look at two texts. Two texts that really are important to Revelation 4. Two pretty brief headings. This is where we're going. Revelation 4, the greatness of God two brief headings, and then some key points of application. 
Now, one of these we've already looked at. One of these two key headings, and that's Revelation chapter 5. Now, Revelation chapter 5 could stand on its own. We looked at this chapter on its own. I preached a sermon on Revelation 5 three or four weeks ago. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion and the Lamb. Revelation 5 can stand on its own, and, but also Revelation chapters 4 through 5, you need to see, you need to understand that it's a, it's a unit. And so we've already looked at one of these key texts. It's the one that comes right after our text. You glance down, say, at verse 12 of Revelation chapter 5. They were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then this praise in verse 13, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. You need to keep Revelation chapter 5 in mind. But then if you would keep your place and turn with me for a moment to Isaiah chapter 6. Now even though, even though we're looking at these first two headings briefly and without much comment, even though we'll pretty quickly this morning, pretty quickly get to the implications of, Ro- of Revelation chapter 4, these texts are still critical. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, who's I? Isaiah, right? I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I wonder if anyone here this morning would say that truly and identify with him in these words. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Notice again, verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
Turn back to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Let me just orient us very quickly to this chapter. Uh, look again at what David read there, beginning in verse 1. Revelation 4.1, John says, after this, uh, you may know that in the preceding two chapters, we've had these famous letters to the seven churches in Revelation. I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now again, just notice the text. Just observe it. Uh, in verse 2 it says, Behold, a throne stood in heaven. In verse 1 it says, Behold, a door standing open in heaven. Look at verse 3. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Friends, we will never rise above our vision of God. Again, as we have heard before, Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God. The first thing that comes into your mind when you think about God. The thing that affects our Christian service, if you are a Christian this morning, I don't take for granted that every single person is. The thing that will affect your Christian service, the thing that will most affect your life is your view of God. And I would say that the, that the bread and butter, so to speak, although every word of God is just that, it's the word of God, the bread and butter, look with me at Revelation 4, 9. These last three verses, I would say, are the bread and butter. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. I've had the, the privilege of looking at this many, many days, and you haven't. Just, so I just, just again, just notice Revelation 4. Just look at some of the basic things that are repeated. Notice this phrase, seated on the throne. Verse 2. A throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Verse 9, and they give glory and honor and thanks to him who is what? Who is seated on the throne. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne. At the center of all of reality, at the center of all of reality is God. The throne is at the center of this chapter. So not only do we say seated on the throne, but we see also just the repetition of four living creatures. Look at verse 6. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are what? Are four living creatures. Verse 8. 
and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. Verse 9, and whenever the living creatures, verse 7 spells out the living creatures. The first one was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, and the fourth, the fourth creature like an eagle in flight. We see the repetition of 24 elders. We see the repetition of around the throne, of around the throne. Let me point out two things to you this morning. Where are we so far? We've looked at Revelation chapter 5. We've read it. We looked at Isaiah chapter 6, which, by the way, I brought in not simply because of the holy, holy, holy. That is the same in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4. Revelation 5, Isaiah 6. Let's consider two things. And the first of those is creation and evolution. Creation and evolution. Look again at verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. To me, this is a fascinating study. Creation and evolution. Not because I think it's a fair fight at all. I think it's not. It's a fascinating study because when you look, and you look at the past four or five hundred years of, of human history, you see that uh, modern science has its foundations in the Christian religion. And apart from uh, Christianity, you, you don't have modern science. And so it's a fascinating study. We all know as we think for a, for a few minutes here, uh, based on verse 11, as we see in verse 11 that God is worthy of worship. This is about God. This is about the throne. The key word in chapters 4 and 5 is worthy. Why is he worthy here? He's worthy for many reasons. But why is he worthy here, specifically here in verse 11? He's worthy because he's God the creator. We all should know that the word evolution uh, in and of itself is a fine word. The word itself uh, is, is harmless. It's, of course, the theory of evolution that begins the debate. It's the theory of evolution in a uh, listen, listen, in a naturalistic world in which we live, which is just to say one that denies, the world we live in is one that denies the supernatural, it's a materialistic, it's a naturalistic world, that world in which we live, in which the fool says in his heart that there is no God, it's that world that the theory of evolution comes to have such dominance. But not only can we as thinking Christians, as Christians who never check our brains at the door, not only can we, of course, know that the word itself is harmless, the word evolution, we also can study and we can, we can see that microevolution is very different than what we might call macroevolution. You say, what, you know, many of you know this, but what in the world are we talking about? Macroevolution is simply the common theory of evolution. That denies God. That denies what we may call, although I would say somewhat weakly, intelligent design. It's a little bit weak in my opinion. But if you've ever studied these things, the difference, you don't have to deny microevolution, but I would say my personal belief that what we teach at this church is macroevolution. The general theory of evolution would be outside of the bounds 
of Christian doctrine, of the Bible. Not because we put our heads in a bag, but because of, among many other things, Revelation 4.11. You've heard before that wonderful Latin phrase that God created the world ex nihilo. He didn't take pre-existing materials. As we've said before, he doesn't need to make a trip to Lowe's to build. He creates with no nothing pre-existent. He creates by his word. He speaks and it comes into existence. And by the way, just in case you're here and, and saying, you know, is, is he saying this morning that a, it's absolutely impossible for a person to be a Christian and to embrace the theory of macroevolution? No, I'm not saying that, but I would also say these things matter. And they're actually pretty clear. And they matter. And Christians do not need to check their brains at the door. But this is foundational. Not only do we have a faith to where we say, Jesus is my Savior, or whereas we commonly say, I invited Jesus into my heart to be my Lord and Savior, but everything rests on Genesis chapter 1. Everything comes back to God. It's not about you, my friend. You are a sinner deserving of the judgment of God. And the doctrine of creation teaches you that you are accountable to God. God made you, and therefore he owns you, and therefore you and I will answer to God. You see, not only this morning does verse 11 teach us that macroevolution, I would say, is out of bounds, but it's way more than that. You see, you can be a, a, a debater, and you can go on chat rooms, or you can subscribe to Answers in Genesis, and you can be a champion for six literal days of creation, and yet you can be eaten up with sin. Wouldn't it be a shame? Wouldn't it be a shame to, to have all of this Christian veneer, but then in your heart to be consumed by worldliness? Do you see? You can be a champion for these things, and these things are important. They are important. But this teaches us not only, not only do I stop at saying no macro evolution, no evolution, creation. God is the creator. But this has so much more to say to us. This says he made you, he owns you, he deserves your thanks and praise and worship. He made you to enjoy him forever. You are not fully human or fully alive unless you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be an agnostic, to be an atheist, is to be, in one sense, not fully alive. You were made for God. You were made to worship God, to give Him thanks and praise. And this doctrine of creation, this truth that God is the Creator, that's the specific fuel for the fire of the worship in heaven at this particular point. Now listen, it will go on, and it will show in the rest of the book of Revelation that he is also God the judge and God the redeemer. But here, do you see? Do you see here? Look at it, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For... For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. There were, uh, there were two friends in the 19th century. 
One was a pastor and one was an agnostic. In the late 1800s, the pastor's name was Henry Ward Beecher, and the famous agnostic was a man by the name of Ingersoll, Robert Ingersoll. The pastor, Beecher, had this, uh, had this globe in his study, we're told. It was a celestial globe. It was a present from a manufacturer. And on this globe was an excellent representation of the constellations and the stars which composed them. Ingersoll, his buddy, the agnostic, was delighted when he saw the globe. He examined it closely and turned it round and round. He exclaimed, it's just what I wanted. Who made it? Beecher repeated, who made it? Oh, nobody, Colonel. It just happened. But it didn't just happen. It was a present to the pastor from a manufacturer who made it. It was a picture of the constellations which are also made. And we're not settling for the weakness of intelligent design. We're going with just the Bible and saying, God, the creator. And we realize it's so much more than mere science that it means, listen, it means he has authority, control, and his presence is everywhere. Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? Lord God, you are worthy. Why? Why is he worthy? For you have created all things and by your will they existed. He sustains you right now. He's the ruler of all. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Even the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the lamb who was slain. He governs all things. He rules all things. He is over all things. He is worthy. The missing jewel in Christianity is true worship. We need to have a proper fire to where we are properly kindling that fire. Our lives were made to be for worship. Listen, it's been pointed out that worship is of no value, which is actually a good quote. It's been pointed out that worship has no good use. We're Americans. We like things that have a use. What use is it? We like things that are utilitarian. We like things that have a pragmatic use. Worship has no practical use. In other words, being here this morning, the songs are just not worship. The service is worship, right? It's not just the songs. It's the service. But being here this morning doesn't help fix your car if your car's having problems. It doesn't help you to pay the mortgage. It doesn't have a utilitarian value, but it is the deepest, most wonderful work in which we can be engaged because God is worthy. Worship may not have a utilitarian value. Again, as I say, Americans, what will it do for me? Will it, what will it, come to worship. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Do you love God? Do you love being with his people? This, no, no, it's not true that in heaven we'll simply be playing harps. It's not true that it'll simply be a boring worship service, but it will be worship. It will be worship. And all of life is worship. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because for you created all things. 
and by your will they existed and were created. The Lord Jesus Christ is the sovereign agent of creation. God is worthy of all praise and he is worthy because he is the creator of all things. I told you there were two. Here's the second. The second reason I've been looking forward to looking at this passage with you is this contemporary issue of Russia, Ukraine, and Putin. Russia and Ukraine. Let me revisit uh, Moeller again here if you'll listen. The war in Ukraine continues and Russia is pressing its offensive. And we now have very credible evidence, more and more evidence, of the fact that Russia and its armed forces are targeting civilians. This is in violation of the rules of war and of the principles of Christian just war theory, of treaties and agreements such as the Geneva Convention. The reality is that we are looking at a nation that is acting as a criminal nation, as a rogue nation, and the simple historical fact, we just remind ourselves, is that this is the first invasion of a nation by another nation in Europe since the end of World War II. One of the things we do need to note, he says, is that Americans are becoming desensitized to the headlines. I don't have to tell you about this news or inform you, and we're all aware. And I think he's right. We can all become desensitized. At the beginning, we turn on the TV and see the live updates and what's going on. Revelation 4 and 5 is about divine sovereignty. Revelation 4 and 5 is about divine sovereignty. These two chapters go together. Revelation teaches us about the Holy Spirit. And particularly in Revelation chapter 5, it teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 4 here today, we see God, God the Father, on his throne. The way it all begins in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 is John is given this vision. It's his second vision. Listen, it's his second vision in the book of Revelation. And what does he look at it again? After this I looked, Revelation 4, 1, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. You know what's going on for the recipients of those to whom he's writing? Remember what we said earlier? This is a suffering church. These are suffering churches. These original recipients were persecuted. John himself was exiled where? You know, to the island of Patmos. And what is it that will sustain you and me today? What is it that will sustain us? Well, for one thing, we need to make sure that we're not consumed by our own silliness and consumed by our own worldliness. But what sustains the people of God is a vision of God. That which sustains the people of God is a true and right vision of God based on the word of God. 
given by God, God's self-revelation. The center of Revelation 4 and 5 is the throne. It becomes not only God the Father, but God the Son. And the idea is divine sovereignty. The Lord God is sovereign over all. The greatness of God and the puniness of human leaders. I appreciate our brother Steve Lawson. He's a famous, good Christian preacher. He's from the deep south. We up here in North Carolina, we're from North Carolina. But Steve Lawson, like A.W. Tozer decades before him, talks about the weightlessness of God. God is weighty in and of himself, but that doesn't rest upon us like it should. And in the southern draw, he talks about a puny God. That we have a puny God. But what Revelation 4 says is it holds before us God, the greatness of God, and the puniness of human leaders. The book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and then the, and then the Bible holds before us the puniness of human leaders and the greatness of God. Look again at verse 8. Day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who was to come or who, who is to come. God is holy. And this holiness leads us to Jesus Christ. God is holy and we are not. We are sinners and sinful and deserving of God's judgment. Then one of the seraphim came to me and touched my lips with a burning coal from the altar. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. And what does it say? It says atonement was made. You don't just stop with the famous part of Isaiah. Don't just stop with the wonderful, wonderful call of Isaiah the prophet. But you read on the rest of Isaiah chapter 6. And, and it talks about how, and Jesus talks about this in his parables, that one of the reasons Jesus told wonderful stories One of the reasons that Jesus told wonderful stories in what's called parables is that so that those who were not his people would be blinded. Isaiah chapter 6 says that the wonderful illustrations and stories Jesus gave are not meant for you. If your heart is hard, they're not meant to help you because you have already decided that your heart is hard. You've already decided, I will not have you, God. I am self-sufficient. No, you're not. But the Bible says in Isaiah 6 and in the Gospels and in the parables, Jesus told these stories that would bring about further blindness among unbelievers. Today's the day of salvation. Do you see if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will be further hardened. He may have, He's able to have grace. He's able to snatch you out of a hard, hard, hard heart and to give you a heart of flesh. But you are in danger if you continue not to follow after God with all of your heart. The option is not to be lukewarm. The option is to follow, listen to me, follow after the Lord Jesus Christ by his grace with reckless abandon and with joy. We see the gospel in Isaiah 6. Not only does it say the same thing as Revelation 4, holy, 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 but also we see this seraphim. If we had time, we would look at Ezekiel chapter 1. Revelation 4 is about God 
It's about the greatness of God and the puniness of human leaders. It is the balm. It is the balm that is needed for suffering Christians to see God. And it's rooted in Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel chapter 1. And it continues on to Revelation chapter 5. God is holy and this holiness leads us to Jesus Christ. John chapter 12 Listen to me before we close. John chapter 12 basically says that Isaiah saw my day, if I could say it like this, Isaiah saw my day and rejoiced. Not just in Isaiah 53, which is clearly about Jesus, but Isaiah chapter 6. That's what John 12 says. John 12 says what Revelation 4 and 5 say, that God is worthy, that you and I are not worthy. You and I are made in the image of God. We are made with great dignity. But we have fallen, and we have sinned, and we have rebelled against God. There's no, 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 not one who is able to take the scroll except for the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. He is the lion and the lamb. He laid down his life for sinners. Jesus Christ is the only substitute for sinners. He's the only one who lived a perfect life. You did not ascend to heaven after your resurrection. Jesus did. Look to Christ. Read Revelation 4 and let us be practically God-centered. Let's not just check boxes. We don't believe in evolution. Well, we don't for good reason but we worship God. He's the creator. He is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us bow the knee to him in glad worship. Let's pray together. We'll take just a brief moment before I lead us in prayer. Lord, we pray for our president this morning. Here we are uh, in Goldsboro, North Carolina at 11.30 or whatever time it is, and we pray right now for our country. We pray and pause right now, pray for our world, pray for the people of Ukraine, for the people of Russia. Lord, many here this morning may be tempted to feel like they They can't really call what they're going through suffering or or persecution because others may in the world be going through far worse. And while that may be true, Lord, I pray that you would comfort your suffering people right here. Comfort, comfort your suffering people in this body. May we know that in Jesus Christ, you are for us. May we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is our friend, and may we also see you in all of your terrible majesty and glory. May we worship you in the splendor of holiness. Lord, we want to grow in outreach and evangelism, and we want to grow in so many ways. Let it be in tandem with beholding our God. Help us to behold our God and teach us, teach us true worship 
Teach us, Lord. We humbly call to you. We, even as the people of Crossway, Lord, we are those who definitely need to confess our sin. And we thank you for the pardon in Jesus Christ. His name we pray. Amen. Thank you.